Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. They said I run like I bite people. Like, I ain't no zombie. Like, that was crazy. Like. You know, I kind of wish he were a zombie. You want to know why? I would really like to see a zombie play football in the NFL. It would be fun. It would bring a <laughs> ankle, a new bunch of fans. Okay, there'd have to be a section in that stadium where it would all be like zombies. That was last Friday as we were pondering Isaiah Pacheco's insistence, I ain't no zombie, because people say he runs like he's trying to bite people. There will be no biting done this morning. I've been bitten by the post-most recent COVID shot blues, and I get it on the back end, and I feel like crap today, Peter. So the goal for me, get through these two hours. And go back to bed. Well, Mike, we have a lot in common today. We're both sick as dogs. So um, I've already told Courtney, who is our ace, who nobody ever sees. But does, does, our, does our audience know exactly how awesome Courtney is? I mean, she's awesome. And I've already given her the sign. But you're, you're, I'll give you the floor. Okay, I've already given her the sign. If I'm about to go on a coughing jag... I'm going to lift my water just like this, you know, and I'm going to go like that. And then she's going to go to full screen to you so you can be sick for about 30 seconds while I cough. So I just want to know, we are quite a pair today. And I have now I'm going to do this because I got here early today. I actually sat down at 6.53 a.m. Eastern, so I'm going to take a liberty, and I'm going to treat this Groundhog Day as if it were Festivus, and I have two grievances to air before we get down to business. Here's the first one, and this is is real, and it's serious, and I'm trying to couch it in lighthearted terms, but, but 
I need to get the COVID shots because I have Crohn's disease and I have really bad allergies and I don't want to find out the hard way that if I'm unprotected, right. this virus is going to go crazy inside of me and take me out. I made that decision from the get-go. I'm not messing around with something that causes an overly aggressive reaction by your immune system because I have multiple autoimmune disorders, Crohn's disease being one of them, allergies, really bad allergies. I take. I don't have seasonal allergies. It's every, it's every season. So I made the decision from day one, every shot, every booster to protect myself from dropping dead. Although some of you out there might prefer that I did otherwise. Here's my problem. And I went through it this week. This is why Aaron Rodgers should not have the platform he has on Pat McAfee's show on ESPN. I'm, I'm going to say it. Because when that guy starts spewing his bullshit, pardon me, Peter, it makes people doubt whether they should get the vaccine. So this week, I wasn't going to do it because maybe Aaron Rodgers is right. Maybe I shouldn't get it. Maybe I don't need it. Maybe I'll be fine. So my plea to everyone out there, do what you are ever going to do for yourself. You don't need to try to get others to do whatever you do. They'll decide what they're going to do. But when you have, and we hear them over and over again, we're human. We react to it like human beings. You start thinking, you know, I re- you know I'd rather not feel like crap for 24 hours after I get this shot. That's why I didn't want to do it. So I tried to talk myself out of it. And I'm thinking, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers is right. And I ignored all the reasons why I made the strategic medical decision for myself to do it. And so if him saying those things will get people to wobble in their resolve, that's not good. So stop it. And he never should have done it. And shame on Pat McAfee and ESPN for letting him do it. That's the end of grievance number one. I'll let you react to it. Okay. So I've had this feeling for a long time. I live in Brooklyn. I live 0.9 miles from the Brooklyn Hospital Center. Walk my dog by there often. And during the height of the pandemic, when I would walk by the Brooklyn Hospital Center, there were four huge semis, refrigerated semi-trucks behind the Brooklyn Hospital Center. And I knew exactly what they were for. They were for dumping the bodies in there because the funeral homes did not have the manpower, woman power, uh, or resources to bury the bodies as fast as they were dying. So I have a very healthy fear of COVID. Now, I have gotten every, I think I'm up to five now, shots, boosters. I think I've gotten every one. I got the most recent one uh, in the fall, earlier in the fall, I think. But, so I've done every one. And one of the reasons is, I think there are some reasons why you maybe shouldn't totally, absolutely trust your government. Vietnam comes to mind. I mean, that's a big deal. But if you think that the Centers for Disease Control are going to mandate <coughs> a some sort of vaccination or some sort of medicine to go to every person in America to try to keep them from dying. And there is ample evidence, ample evidence, that people didn't get COVID because they took the vaccine. Now, some did. Some were harmed by the vaccine. But I will just go back three generations, Mike, and I will just ask you this question. I've asked it to many people who voice their cynicism, skepticism, that why is it that when Americans were dropping dead of polio, 
and getting disfigured for life because of polio back, what, 70, 80 years ago? Why is it that we said, oh my God, this is great. We figured out a vaccine and everybody's going to take, all the kids are going to take this vaccine. It's wonderful. We're going to do it. And we virtually eradicated polio. So why is it that you trust Jonas Salk, but you naturally don't trust Anthony Fauci? That is what is just strange. It's just strange. And it's sad about this country because there are things that you should grow up trusting. And if you don't trust them, it's more on you than it is on the people who make the medical rules and medical recommendations in our society. And what benefit do the individuals who choose not to trust the government have in trying to persuade others to have the same distrust and cause them to become less committed to what they believe they need to do for themselves? That's what angered me this week. I tried to talk myself out of it until I did my own research as to whether or not I needed the next one. And it turned out I did. I had the last one in late July. I got COVID in late September. I asked my doctor who gives me a physical every year. He's one of the Steelers doctors. I asked him, what should I do? He said, get the shot. I, you know, and I, the whole time it's like, do I really need it? Do I really need it? Why? Because I've got Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee's show rattling around in my brain that maybe you don't really need it. So that's grievance number one. Here's grievance number two. And we got a lot to get to today, but we'll get to all of it. The the show's two hours long, regardless of what we talk about. Grievance number two, Peter, and I don't know if you know about this. And I'm going somewhere with this because the fans don't care, but they should care. The commissioner's press conference has been moved from Wednesday to Monday this year. Used to be Friday. For years, it was Friday when maximum media are in town. They slipped it to Wednesday a few years ago. Less media in town, less media there to ask tough and or goofy, bizarre, unpredictable questions. And you and I have both been at those. Every once in a while, there's somebody that gets a microphone like me every morning and won't let it go. Now this year, it's Monday and it's invitation only. And I didn't get no invitation. And I believe it's because they don't want certain people showing up, asking questions that might cause the commissioner to get a little wobbly like Jim Trotter did last year and the year before. This is the Jim Trotter defense. We're going to move it to Monday. We're going to only invite certain people, and that's that. Because I pushed back on it a little bit, and the excuse was, well, how many of these have you come to in recent years? Well, you do them on Wednesday at high noon. I got a show promoting your league, talking to the guests, the players who play in your league, promoting it to the world. So I can't come to it when you do it at 12 noon on Wednesday. You do it at three o'clock on Monday. I can go. Still didn't invite me. Still didn't invite me. So I, I, I hope that fans understand what they're trying to do here. They don't want tough questions to be posed to the commissioner. And this actually helps Jim Trotter's lawsuit because when it's time to depose the commissioner and the other people who made this decision, you can flesh out this idea. You can push them on the notion that the commissioner didn't want to be embarrassed again. By a tough question. I guarantee you Jim Trotter won't be there, even though he still covers the NFL for the athletic. So I want fans to understand, you never get to the truth about the things you need to know about if it's all people who work for NFL Network who are there asking the questions and they get the microphones because they know they're not going to put, well, except for Jim Trotter and look what happened to him, allegedly. So that's, that's beef number two. I've exhausted my tank of grievances on this Groundhog Day slash Festivus. Well, I thought the voice or the 
the note that you made uh, in your post at Pro Football Talk was interesting about gambling because I think that clearly Roger Goodell doesn't want to be hit with his words about how horrible gambling is when he's standing up at a press conference in the middle of Las Vegas. That's number one. But number that's what two, I would ask him. That's what I would ask him. Yeah. I asked Jeff Miller this week, and I didn't like the answer I got. So I would ask the guy who said it, abso-freaking-lutely, and that's why I'm not invited, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do think it is. it goes to a larger point. There's a lot of things right now about the NFL. Will Hobson had a really, really good story in the Washington Post this week about how, about how many deserving people, ill people, because, uh, well, allegedly because of football, or at least in part because of football, have, uh, you know, early onset Alzheimer's or, or similar diseases. And in this massive concussion settlement, this $791 million concussion, concussion settlement a few years ago that was supposed to be nirvana for all players in their 40s, 50s, 60s who were really starting to suffer after effects from playing football, that all these guys don't get any benefits from this. And it's an alarming story. And... And my whole thing is there's enough of those issues that it's going to make issues like these are going to make it hard for Roger Goodell to have a bright, sunny, happy press conference. Now, I think the one other thing about it that I think is very, very clear, Mike, you have the press conference at three o'clock in the afternoon, Vegas time. And then probably very soon after that, the reporters get on buses or ride their cars or whatever, and they go over to the uh, uh, to the massive press conference where everybody is going to be, players from both teams, all that. And so if you are writing a story for the next day in the paper or on a website somewhere or you're doing a report for ESPN or you do whatever, what are you going to do? You're going to concentrate on the thing that happened last, the players in town, and you're going to get Patrick Mahomes' face on television and in your website, and you're going to get his quotes from Travis Kelsey and Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey. You're going to get all their stuff. And then you're going to say, well, what's the most important thing that happened today? And I doubt sincerely it'll be whatever Roger Goodell says at his press conference. And you're right. On Friday, it used to be that basically... It was a big deal because nothing happened on Friday. Nothing happened on Saturday. And so that became sort of the repository. That was Saturday's story. That was Friday night's story at the Super Bowl. No more. It's just being hidden. It's being camouflaged by other events. And I think Roger Goodell and the NFL like it that way. Well, It'll be interesting to see the eventual deposition transcripts when he and others are pressed about why they did this and they give their reasons and they do battle with the lawyers. And on that point, and look, this goes back to the fact that we're all human. We only have so many hours in the day that we can work on things. Someone sent to me this week the 500-page transcript of the commissioner's deposition from the lawsuit involving whether the league is going to get insurance coverage for the concussion 
lawsuits and settlement. And anybody that's ever read deposition transcripts knows it is a slog. It is difficult. It is very easy, especially with what I do, as Chris says, copy, paste, snarky comment. I want to crank out content. I don't want to sit and read 500 pages of questions and answers and objections involving very arcane legal points and insurance and whatnot. But, but my reputation when I was practicing law is if you piss me off, you got a problem. And they pissed me off. So I'm going to read every word of that damn thing. And I'm going to read every word of the Washington Post item because my first thought was, you know, couldn't they drop this thing in a better week when we aren't so damn busy getting ready for the Super Bowl, getting ready to go to Las Vegas? I'm not going to be able to make time for this. And most of my audience isn't going to care about it. And I just kind of kicked the can. Now I'm going to go pick the can up and look and see what's inside of it. That, that's the human reality here. I mean, Peter, I've been doing this 23 years and they still don't know how to deal with me. They will still gratuitously piss me off from time to time. And then they get to find out what happens once they've pissed me off. Well, you know, you have to anyway. do you. And everybody has to do him, she, them, her. So, you know, do what you're... You've obviously been very successful at this. You should keep doing it, obviously. But I, I think the larger point about all of this is that, you know, it's okay if you run this incredible business, the most popular sport in America. It's okay to have three or four major things wrong because you know what? There's 30 or 40 major things wrong in the United States of America. And you know what? We've got a pretty damn good country. And so it's okay to acknowledge your mistakes and to say 12 years ago or whatever year it was that that Roger Goodell said what he said about gambling. You know, the landscape changed. In 2017, there were a lot of movements toward land toward gambling becoming legal. Things changed. And did we hop on it? Yes, we did. We're a business. Just be real. Just be real. And, and accept that you are going to have some tough questions asked and should have them asked about players who play football for a long time probably being more uh, uh, more likely to get sick later in life than an average human being is. What is the shame in admitting that? Because it's true. What is, what's the shame? It's We all know that there is a bit of a bargain. When you love football, when you watch football, 56 million people watched those games last weekend, the most maybe of all time for a championship weekend. And... We all know that we all understand, the players understand, the fans understand, everybody understands that this game is fun, we love this game, but there are dangers attached to this game. People love auto racing, there's dangers attached to the game. Ask Dale Earnhardt's family. So we understand the risks that we take, and yet however many, 200,000 people go to the Indy 500 or, you know, and people are clamoring to go to the Super Bowl. And I get it. Everybody gets it. Just admit it. We're, we're adults here. We're adults here. Why don't you just stop trying to make everything absolutely perfect? And it's not always a sunny day. It's okay to admit that there are some clouds outside. Overall, most days in the NFL are very sunny. Not every one. I just wish occasionally they would admit it. Well, I think they have an issue with gambling because Goodell's remark from 2012 went like this. 
if widespread legalized gambling happens, normal incidents of the game, drop passes, fumbles, plate calls, penalties will create speculation, distrust, and allegations of point shaving and game fixing. And the question I asked Jeff Miller this week that he didn't answer, and I've followed up multiple times to get an answer to it, are you witnessing it? Because we are. I hear all the time, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged. Do you recognize, do you realize that fans are indeed activating the way that you feared they would 12 years ago? And what are you really doing about it? Don't give me a word salad. Tell me what you're doing to make officiating better. Tell me what you're doing to make officiating more transparent so people won't think there's something secret going on behind the curtain. And I I can't even begin to get an answer to that question because they don't want to answer it, Peter. Well, let me just say one thing, and I read what you wrote about it, and I disagree with you. And the reason I disagree with you is because um, there are a lot of people in this country, and I know I get 250 to 400 emails every week after I write my column, and 75 to 100 every week have some sort of ridiculous claim in them this game is fixed that game is fixed whatever and i honestly i just don't deal with it anymore because it reminds me of everybody saying the election was rigged the election was not rigged state after state after state judge after judge after judge everybody said this is a legitimate election just because one person continues to say it was illegitimate he has managed to convince some millions of Americans that the election was fixed. There are some people in the halls of our Congress who believe that the election was fixed. All I can say is those people, quite frankly, uh, I, I, I fervently disagree with them, and I've stopped really caring what they say, even though they may end up you know, in a position of power or in positions of power. And the reason that I've stopped is that you can only devote so much mental energy to saying, are these people crazy? It's it's exactly like Bill Curry, the old Packers center, the old Georgia Tech football coach, really good guy. He was on Twitter a few years ago, and he said that the people who deny the election are the same people who watch a football game and said, well, my team was better, my team won. And, And thank God, thank God that those people do not rule over football. At the end of a game, no matter how ticked off you are, no matter how idiotic an official's decision was, game over. That's the result. Deal with it. Live with it. So I understand what you say about there are people out there who say the game is fixed. I get it. They're yelling. They're screaming. I don't care. I just don't care. And I think that the logical people who push back and say, do you realize how many people would have to be in on the fix? From oh, I know. I know. I say that all the time. To te- I agree do you completely. Have any idea? Anyway. But Peter, the That's point is thought. that the commissioner said legalized gambling will result in normal incidents of the game fueling speculation, not fact, speculation, yeah. distrust and allegations. And I've seen the uptick. I've seen the uptick. I'm inundated with it. My son and his friends, guys in their 20s, constantly saying, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged. No matter what I say until I'm blue in the face, it's rigged, it's rigged, it's rigged. And I think part of the populace is conditioned to think everything's rigged now. Back to what we were talking about earlier. Everything is subject to distrust. 
My point is, and the question they won't answer, are you experiencing it the way I am? I'm on the front lines of it. You're on the front lines of it. Now, you managed to ignore it. I engage with these people to try to talk them off the ledge. It doesn't work, but I have definitely noticed an uptick in speculation, distrust, and allegations of game fixing and point shaving. Exactly what they feared. So what are you doing to counter it? You fought it. You decided to jump in, in many bed with ways, it. Mike. They could have said, we don't want to have anything to do with gambling. They could have said, we still want nothing to do with gambling. We're not going to take a penny from it. They're I all in they with did. it. So what are you doing? What are you doing to get these people to, to not be so crazy? And do you Mike, no matter how much the league would do. do, no matter how much the league would do, it wouldn't matter. You could put 48,000 safeguards in place. Oh, it's still rigged. It's still fixed. You know, the bottom line is, let those people go live in the dark. It's fine. It's fine. You just have to acknowledge that a certain segment of society is going to believe something that's absolutely rock-headedly stupid. But, you know, let them believe that. And I'm going to watch the game on Sunday. And quite frankly, I'm going to enjoy the game. And I, I, I tell people this sometimes. There's a, I live in an apartment building in Brooklyn. Some guy came up to me about a year ago and he said, Hey, I, I recognize you. Um, I, I just got a serious question for you. He says, I, I bet a lot on the games and I'm really starting to think that something is not right. You know, I just, there are things that don't feel right. There's things, you know, and he explained it, went on. I was, uh, you know, nice to him. Pretty nice, I guess. And he finally said, what do you think? And I said, do you realize how many people would have to be in on either a fix or uh, you have to win by less than seven or you have whatever? I said, I just need to tell you how many people would have to be in on it, how deep that conspiracy would have to be. And, you know, imagine if the, the referee and the headlinesman and the quarterback and the receiver, uh, and whoever else, whoever else, we're all in on this, and they're all going to make X millions of dollars if they do whatever somebody wants them to do. I just think it is, I'm not saying it's impossible. Anything is possible. But if you realize just for a second that unless this is a quarterback clearly on his way out of football, that that is going to dog every one of those players and people involved for the rest of their born days. It will never go away. And at some point, someday, we'll find out because somebody who shouldn't have talked will talk and we'll know. And it'll be just like the ref in the NBA, the Donahue episode. But I I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, quite honestly. Three, three points very quickly, and then we've got to move on. One, that's basically what happened with Paul Crew in The Longest Yard, in which Peter uttered the immortal words. I think he bleeped himself because yeah. he was point-shaving and he got run out of the league and shamed and all that. Second, Peter, I encourage you to go back and watch the debut episode of Frontline on PBS from January 1983. Jessica Savage reporting the whole thing was about gambling and the NFL, and it is jarring. Third, there's a difference between the league trying to engineer outcomes and the possibility that somebody on the inside is up to something. 
I don't think the league is trying to rig anything, but I do think they better be concerned about people who are up to something, whether it's trafficking and inside information, whether it's trying to rig prop bets over unders on yardage gain or anytime touchdowns. There's so many different ways people can bet. I don't think it's as difficult for someone to try to influence something like that. All I'm saying is the league doesn't care who wins. The league doesn't want the chiefs to win because of Taylor Swift. The, the league isn't trying to make sure that the two teams in the Super Bowl match the colors from the logo. That was the stupidest conspiracy theory that I've heard in years. That the Super Bowl teams are predetermined by the colors of the logo. Should have been the Ravens and the 49ers because it was purple and red. So anyway, there's an avenue for wrongdoing by a small group of individuals. We've already seen guys involved in wagering. The kid from the Patriots, 8,900 bets placed when he was underage, and they're investigating that now. There have been others who have gotten in trouble. My point is, I agree with you. The league is never going to do it. I just want to know if they're willing to admit that they're seeing the same crazy that we're seeing because they've invited crazy in by opening Pandora's box at Little Caesars or Caesars Palace or whatever Caesars is called. We'll be there at some point next week. It's not Little Caesars. There's probably a Little Caesars in Caesars Palace. Regardless, they've opened Pandora's box. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. One question the commissioner won't be asked next week is about Dan Snyder, the former owner of the Commanders. The Commanders finally have hired their head coach, first one post-Ron Rivera, first coach of the Josh Harris era. And it surprised a lot of people. When Ben Johnson removed his name from consideration the other day as the plane was in the air to come interview him in Detroit, when he removed his name because the sense had percolated throughout the NFL grapevine that Adam Peters, the new GM of the commanders was hiring Ben Johnson. It created the impression they were back to square one. And instead of expanding the search and looking elsewhere, which they could have done, they just hired one of the other guys that they had talked to. They hired Dan Quinn. Commanders fans aren't thrilled. Guys defense just gave up 48 points in the playoffs to the Packers. It's not the kind of sexy hire that's going to inspire the fan base. But if he comes in and wins, they'll forget how it felt the day he was hired. 
Well, I think the whole thing is interesting. First of all, let's start with Ben Johnson. And, you know, Mike, I was in Detroit for the playoffs. Uh, There were people in their organization who really thought that Ben Johnson was getting a job. They thought that this was the end of Ben Johnson. Some pe- I'm not saying it was not Dan Campbell. I'm just saying that that uh, there were those in Detroit who thought that Ben Johnson was getting a job. And then, you know, as the month went on, I kept hearing Washington, Washington. Yeah, that's done. A general manager in the NFL said, oh, he's definitely going to Washington. So that was the word on the grapevine. And I'm not saying true, false, whatever, because I really don't know. I don't cover this the way I used to cover it. I used to live and breathe. Now, when it's Tuesday and Wednesday in the off season, or after the regular season, I mostly try to catch up on my sleep and be normal. So, but I will just say this. What was odd about this is that you really never heard very much at all about the real possibility of Dan Quinn getting this job. And you only heard about Ben Johnson. And look, when you've been doing this for a while, you understand, you start to hear things. Very rarely do you have a situation where a guy, and I'm not saying Dan Quinn came out of nowhere, he interviewed with them. So, But 15 people interviewed with the Chargers, seven before Jim Harbaugh, seven after Jim Harbaugh. But but again, the traction for him was not very much. And, and you also have to realize this, Mike. The owner of the football team who paid $6 billion for this team got on an airplane the morning after, the first morning of the new week in which they could go and actually talk to Ben Johnson. The owner of the team, not just the general manager and a minion or two, but the owner of the team got on a plane. Everybody thought that, well, this is the, this is the crowning. This is it. This is the official whatever. So all of that happened, and then when they land, they're told Ben Johnson is going to stay here. So all I'm saying is that I believe that the Washington Commanders were very surprised and perhaps taken aback by that event. And and then they went to plan B for them, which obviously they didn't want to be embroiled in awful headlines for a long time, so they went to plan B. Now, I'm not even saying this is wrong for Ben Johnson. I don't know that it's wrong. The one thing that he would have gotten to do is he would have gotten either the best if they traded up, the number one guy on their board. They still might get the number one quarterback on their board with the second pick in the draft. Ben Johnson would have gotten either the best or second best quarterback in a rich crop of college quarterbacks to mold like a piece of modeling clay, to mold in his image, to do something with that he like he did with a damaged Jared Goff when Goff got to the Lions. And you see now, I don't know what number Goff is, but he's gone from being about the, at one point, the 24th best quarterback in football to maybe the ninth 
or or I don't know, you pick a number, but it's a lot better than it was. And that is a lot of the work of Ben Johnson. So he is giving up that opportunity. However, the reason why I don't join the chorus of people saying, man, Ben Johnson, unless you, you, you think that once you have an opportunity, you got to strike while the iron's hot, okay? Ben Johnson's a very young man. That's why I don't believe in this. Plus, he will have next year, barring a bunch of injuries, a top five offense in football, maybe a top one. And so the opportunities are still going to be there for him. Maybe there was something about this job he didn't like. Maybe Dan Campbell got in, bit both kneecaps, and said, you're not going anywhere. I don't know. But whatever happened, whatever happened, you know, Ben Johnson's career is not over. It's not an awful decision by any stretch. I just think that he's going to have a chance in the future somewhere else, and maybe he didn't think this was the best chance. And look, it's ultimately a very personal decision, and it's not an easy decision to walk away from a significant enhancement of your title and your compensation. A huge night and day difference. How do you justify that with your family? You better sit down and have a good conversation about why you are saying, I'm not interested in getting on my ship that has come in. A better ship will come in for me next year. And there's no guarantee of that. Byron Leftwich was was on the list of head coaching candidates last year, and I literally don't know where he is right now. I don't know what happened to him. He fell off the face of the earth. Bobby Slowick could be the hot guy next year. Jared Goff comes down to earth. C.J. Stroud continues to improve and improve. Maybe Bobby Slowick is the guy everybody wants. And you got Bill Belichick hovering over everything. you got Mike Vrabel out there. There's no guarantee you're going to get your pick of jobs next year. And you may decide next year to kick the can again. At some point, yeah, the window is going to close for good. And only he knows why he didn't do it. And, Peter, that's why I'm not comfortable with the reporting that his asking price spooked a few teams without knowing what his asking price is because we know the teams collude when it comes to coach pay, especially entry level. They don't want to pay for coaches. There's no union. No one's going to sue them for collusion or antitrust violations. They don't pay entry-level coaches. So what what does it take to spook owners who don't want to pay more than a set range for any first-year head coach? And is it fair to be spooked by that? Or are they just being cheap and collusive and willing to violate the federal antitrust laws by by basically preparing to give any owner that would blow the curve the Jimmy Haslam cold shoulder treatment that he got two years ago after he blew the curve on Deshaun Watson. So I'm not comfortable saying or seeing anybody else say his asking price spooked teams. Maybe it shouldn't have. Maybe the teams are in the wrong. Maybe they missed an opportunity to have a great coach because you're going to pay a quarterback 30, 40, 50 million a year you're not going to pay a coach 15, 16, 20 million a year who is a great coach and is going to mean a lot more to the success of your team than one player. So I, I just, I've been trying to find out exactly what happened. Nobody's talking about it. The commanders have their spin that they put on it. I don't think they did a great job of managing the PR expectations. They didn't do a good job of getting the word out that Ben Johnson wasn't the presumptive hire because we all believed it. And they never pushed back on it until after he stayed in Detroit. And then they're putting out this idea. Well, they didn't want to have a first-time GM and a first-time head coach. Well, I didn't hear that four weeks ago when they were saying it's going to be Adam Peters and Ben Johnson. 
And nobody was saying Dan Quinn was a serious candidate for that job. I thought Eric Bieniemy was a more serious candidate for that job than Dan Quinn. I thought they wanted an offensive coach. We were led to believe all that. So there's an important lesson to be learned here as it relates to the PR and what PR truly means for a sports organization. It isn't just sit around and wait for the fire alarm to go off. You have to have an affirmative strategy for crafting the narrative that meshes with expectations, creates expectations, and avoids situations, Peter, where the fan base says, well, looks like they didn't get the guy they want, and they settled for plan B. You know, I thought about Ben Johnson a lot after this happened, and I remember I've only had one conversation with him in my life. And he's just a calm, quiet teacher. That's what he is. He's, he's a, you know, he's like a Frank Reich to me. Uh, but, but I only bring that up because I thought to myself, the reason that I have respect for Ben Johnson is that you never hear him blowing his own horn. You never hear him saying how great he is. He's just a seemingly a very low ego guy who I can tell you, there are teams in this league that on Monday, there's at least one team in this league where the head coach has said to his quality control guy on offense, I know you got a lot to do today, but I want you to make sure you watch every offensive snap of the Lions. This is a good coach, Mike. And that's how much Ben Johnson is widely respected, which is why I don't think this is a dumb thing. Look, Two years ago, 22nd best offense in football. The last two years, four and three. By the end of this year, I think the game was slightly mismanaged in the second half and not just on fourth down. I think the play calling was a little suspect. But again, you can always say that about the team that loses. But again, just remember, although you are going to get the quarterback that you want, okay, you also thought that you, you, you the, this franchise, the Washington franchise, loved getting Eric Bieniemy and thought that getting Eric Bieniemy was really going to jumpstart their offense and their quarterback. The fact is, they were 24th in the league in total offense. I'm not saying that in any way as an indictment of, of Eric Bieniemy. In no way do I think that indicts Eric Bieniemy. What I think that says is that quarterback has a middling ceiling you know it's here and not here okay and you know the rest of the offensive talent and particularly as in Carolina I don't know how you make a definitive judgment on Bryce Young after watching 600 snaps of him running for his life this year so and I think the same thing with the Washington quarterbacks this year the offensive line was awful so, so again, again, you can do two things, Mike. You have two choices. You can stay in a place that has a great offense that everybody in the place is so fired up about next year and they're positive they're going to take the next step. Whether they do or not, that's one thing. But then you're going to a place and you have to maybe not invent it from scratch. You got some very good players. You got Terry McLaurin who... I think is a top 10, 12 receiver in the NFL. But you don't have enough of those guys, particularly on the offensive line. So I don't think this is an indictable thing for Ben Johnson in any way, shape, or form. And I think he will be in good shape. And you're absolutely right, Mike. If we had said, 
oh, whatever, a month ago or, or not. I guess you'd have to be honest. That 20 days ago that the coaching cycle was going to finish without Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel getting jobs, we would have said that's phony. We're, you know, that's, that's a ridiculous thing. But it happened. And so coaching searches, there are never any locks. And right now, to me, you can say today at this moment that the 2025 coaching search process is going to have at the top Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Bobby Slowick, Ben Johnson. And the, you know, Mike, there's going to be one or two or three surprises that people are going to say, oh my God, somebody's got to hire this guy. This great coach from college is leaving college because of NIL and transfer and everything. So somebody's got to hire him. So you're right. There are no guarantees. But if I were Ben Johnson, I'd be pretty happy to be coaching that Lions offense another year. You mentioned Bill Belichick. And as it relates to PR efforts, in contrast to the lack of any real effort by the commanders to throw water on the widespread belief that Ben Johnson was going to be the next head coach of the team. And it was a widespread belief. We talked about it last week. People were texting you during the show. It's Ben Johnson to Washington. Three weeks or so from the moment Adam Peters was hired. I was told by someone I've known for a long time, the Adam Peters thing was done four weeks ago. And watch, Ben Johnson is going to be the coach that he hires. They did nothing to push back against that. They did everything, Peter, dating back to October, to push back against the idea of Bill Belichick becoming the coach of the commanders. And I had first heard mid to late October, and I couched it as rumor and chatter, and it's out there, people in the know speculating on the possibility of Bill Belichick to the commanders. And... You know, sometimes I'll throw something like that out there. If I couch it properly, it's up to the reader to understand what I'm saying. Well, the commander's mobilized to shout it down. No way, no how, not happening. Then, as we got close to the end of the season, and I think it was the edition of Football Night in America, week 18, I said something I was told by somebody I completely trust, not to be confused with my sources I don't trust. I said that Josh Harris, the owner of the commanders, is enamored with the idea of Bill Belichick being the coach, but only the coach. So the way it was characterized to me, yeah, it would be great to have him as the coach, but they don't want him running the show. And Robert Kraft knew that wasn't going to work in New England. And I think Josh Harris and the rest of his ownership group knew that, you know, if you bring in Belichick to work for a guy who was a lackey in New England for six years, working his way up the ladder, it's just not going to work. Belichick's not going to work with that guy. Whatever the contracts say, Belichick is going to do what Belichick does. So they mobilized again, Peter. They mobilized again, shouting down any suggestion of Belichick going to the commanders. I got one of those calls. Now, the call ended with, now things can change. You never know. And it's like, well, why'd you call me then? So they wanted to not create an expectation that Belichick was their first choice and they didn't get him. I believe that's why they took a fire hose to any suggestion they were interested in Belichick. Because if Belichick says no to you, then what do you do? You tell your fan base, we tried. At least we tried. The Bart Simpson gift with the cake. At least you tried and you dump it into the trash can and off you go. And I say all this because Diana Rossini of The Athletic reported yesterday after Dan Quinn was hired that they were considering Belichick. They talked to Belichick. Decision makers supported Belichick. Now, if that's true, that 
is diametrically opposed to that effort that they engaged in repeatedly to throw water on the idea that they were interested in Belichick. I think they were, but they didn't want anybody to know it unless they thought they were going to get him. Well, let's just spe- let's take that speculation a little bit. So, and and let's 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 just answer the one question that you said. First of all, I don't necessarily think it wouldn't have worked Bill Belichick and Adam Peters because he was a flunky on his staff in New England. <coughs> if excuse me, <coughs> if you sit down with Bill Belichick and you explain to him, look, here is how it's going to be here. We have a general manager who's going to have power over the draft. That's what his contract says. And the first question you have to ask Belichick after pleasantries is, we have to know, are you okay with this? And Bill, I think, entered all these jobs knowing that he was not going to get I shouldn't say knowing, but probably figuring he wasn't going to get complete control after what happened the last four years and after looking at his number one draft choices over the last 10 years. They are abominable. There cannot be a group, I think it's seven players. I wrote them in my column this week. There can't be a group of seven players collectively over the last decade (coughs) as first-round picks that have a worse track record than what Belichick put up. So, and and I'm only saying this, I'm only saying this because I believe that Bill Belichick, yes, he is hard to deal with, all that things. He's also a pragmatist. He doesn't tilt at windmills. He doesn't flail away at unrealistic situations. And the fact is that if he sat down, look, one of his mentors in this business is Bill Parcells. And when Bill Parcells sat down with Jerry Jones, Bill Parcells was told, listen, we have the draft. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to do this. But me, Stephen, Tom Siskowski, the others in the draft, we are going to run the draft. So you have to be okay with that. And you're going to have a say in the same thing all head coaches have a say, but it's the other guys who are going to determine it. And Parcells said, okay. And Mike, as you probably know, I know Parcells pretty well. The whole time he was coach of the Cowboys, whatever, three years maybe, the whole time he was coach of the Cowboys, there wasn't one time ever that he said to me, man, if they want you to cook the meal, they ought to let you buy the groceries. He understood. You know why? Because he was told that was the situation going in. And if Bill Belichick was told, these drafts are Adam Peters, you're going to have a say and you will be partners, but I doubt sincerely that he would have, at this point in his career, fought about that. He might have fought over individual players, but I doubt he would have fought about that. My final point about Belichick is very simple, that it's clear that he needs a year for people, in my opinion anyway, for people to see him as a human being. Rich Eisen proposed it to me, and and I wrote it in my column this week. I think it's a great idea. He and Nick Saban with some host, I don't know, pick somebody, Kurt Menefee. I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm inventing names. I have no idea who it would be. But Bill Belichick, Nick Saban should do what the Mannings do. And the Mannings do it alone, but they would probably need a host. 
and take one of those, say, a doubleheader game on Sunday and put it on Paramount Plus, a CBS doubleheader game, or on Thursday night, do a uh, Amazon Prime hires them to do the Thursday night game. I don't know, but he needs to do something to show everybody he's not the big bad wolf. Okay. I disagree with a couple of things you said. First of all, talking to people who understood the dynamics of the organization when Parcells was there, regardless of what he agreed to on the way in, Jerry believed that Parcells took over the team. So you can agree to whatever on the way in the door, but your personality is what it is. Your life force is what it is. You are who you are, and when it's time to go to work, you will take over, just like Peyton Manning. You sign Peyton Manning, he's taken over. Anywhere he goes, he's taken over. And what Robert Kraft said 22 days ago when he was asked at the press conference where the mutual parting was announced, whether or not he considered removing some of Bill Belichick's power because Belichick seemed to be willing to do it, Kraft said that won't work. It's too confusing because he's been in charge of this organization for years. And, Peter, I think that same thing applies if he goes somewhere else because in comes the greatest no. coach of all time who has had full control over the Patriots for years. And, Peter, Peter, he can say – I'm fine with whatever you pick. But when a guy half his age says, I want to take this receiver from Marshall in round four and Bill makes a face and they take him anyway. And Bill decides, I really don't want this guy on my team. I'm just going to bury him on the bench. I'm not going to play him. That was my first lesson. I said this the other day. My first lesson in NFL dysfunction was a GM. And I think it was the Jets at the time. GM bringing in players and the coach saying, I'm not playing the guys you paid. I'm not playing the guys you drafted. I'm playing the guys I want to play. So I think but that why would we just have to that? recognize. Why would he do that? Because he is no sense. because he is who he is, Peter. He is who he is. And he's not going to change at 72. Then don't agree. He's not going to change don't at 72. Agree to the rules. Then then don't agree no. to the rules. And sit out. And maybe that's what happened. I don't know what happened. But, Mike, I, and I understand what you say about Parcells. But what I'm saying is, I don't think Bill Parcells ran the draft those three years. Did he tell Jerry Jones a bunch of things that Jerry didn't want to hear? I'm sure he did. And did he change a lot of things that happened around the building? Yes. I'm talking specifically about the draft. And I think Bill Belichick would have been the same thing. Now, there probably would be ten things before they ever played their first game, if he coached the Washington Commanders, that Adam Peters and Josh Harris would both roll their eyes at. Okay, because it's, you know, he's going to have to have certain things his way. But if he comes in and says, you pick the players, let's make it a collaboration, but I understand you get the choice. Bill Belichick is smart enough to know, and he's been in 900 draft rooms. He's smart enough to know that the top two people are not always going to agree on it, on who to pick. And so I just think it's unrealistic to think that Belichick then would have sabotaged his team by taking it by the guy who's the fourth round oh, pick, oh, oh, one Peter, of the most valuable Peter, players Peter, on your Peter. team, to not he, give him a chance Peter. to be good. Peter, he just spent the yeah. last two years playing head games with Mac Jones. All right. And people believe that this season, I he understand, but he when Mac Jones Mac clearly Jones. should have been benched he as a middle finger. Mac Jones. But he, I understand, but.
but he got to the point where he didn't want Mac Jones. Mac Jones wasn't a Stepford Patriot. Mac Jones was willing to complain about things to the media, to the crafts. He got on Bill's bad side. And then they were playing Mac Jones when they shouldn't have been playing Mac Jones as a middle finger to the crafts. Guaranteed that happened. So my point is this. If you're Adam Peters, 44 years old, and you're in charge of a football organization, you can hire a coach who's going to make your day-to-day life beautiful. Or you can hire a guy who's going to be miserable, cantankerous, making faces, being secretive, not trusting anyone, putting a dark cloud everywhere he goes, because that's what he is as a coach. And we know that. You have to accept that you're bringing that into your building. Washington ultimately didn't want to do it. Atlanta ultimately didn't want to do it. Nobody's going to want to do it. I don't think it's automatic. He's got a lot of rehab to do of his image for it to be automatic for someone to want to do it next year. I think so so too. But there's a difference between there's a difference between that and saying on January 31st, Adam, the draft is yours. And then saying on April 28th, hey, I know I said the draft is yours, but don't take this effing guy. I, 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 I personally, I understand. I know I've not talked to Belichick in 17 years. So I understand that Belichick can be prickly and that's putting it mildly. But, but I also do not know of stories where Belichick says you got the draft. And then three months later, tries to take the draft away from the general manager or bitches and moans about the guy. He's never had to. So again, look, he's never had to look. He might have he might have done that. I don't know. We can't predict what would have happened because he's not the coach of the team. And maybe Washington got dubious about all this. I don't know. But I'm just saying I think if he did agree to something, he would have lived with it. I'm fascinated by organizational dynamics and office politics, and I think you've oversimplified how it would have gone. He wouldn't have just shown up the first night of the draft and said, I don't want this guy. He would have known which way the wind was blowing, and there would be communications and efforts and emails and discussions to try to steer the GM away from the guy he didn't want. And if you're the GM, you have to accept the fact There's that nothing this guy wrong with that, the though. greatest of all time. Well, but but if this guy's the greatest of all time, it's going to be hard to say to it's going to be a lot harder to say to him than it's going to be to say to Dan Quinn, this is still the guy I think we need. It's you know Belichick <laughs> brings a lot of great, but he brings a lot of baggage. He brings a lot of cachet that's built into the job that I think makes it hard. It makes it hard yeah. for the people who are working with him. If he's not fully in charge, it's just going to be a challenge if and when it ever happens. All right, we got to take a break. When we return, Jim Harbaugh back in the NFL. And his goal isn't just to win one Lombardi trophy. He wants a whole bunch of them. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal... And when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.